What's your favorite way to learn? I like graphic novels because I can see who's talking. My grandma reads the newspaper to me. I like movies on TV. I play learning games on my dad's tablet. I like reading plain old regular books with lots of detail. This is Worlds Awaiting, helping children read, write, see, speak, think, and listen. Here's our host, Rachel Wada. Stories told through a sequence of pictures is a common form of storytelling that has existed for centuries. Just think back to cave paintings or ancient tapestries that tell a complete story through sequential images. Today, this storytelling form is what we call sequential art, and the form of sequential art that most people are familiar with are comics. Comics can trace their modern history back as far as the 1830s, and they come in many forms. One form is comic books, which had their heyday in the 1930s both in Europe and in America. But another and very well-loved form is the comic strip. The comic strip is a unique storytelling form because it conveys a very brief story, and these small portions of the story need not be consecutively connected. The standalone nature of a comic strip that still builds a story arc through development of the characters and settings over time is quite unique in the storytelling game. There are those out there who believe that the comic strip is a dying art form that is being replaced by newer forms like graphic novels or video animation. However, I disagree. While today's kids may not be reading comic strips in the newspapers, they are still reading them just through a wider range of methods. One of the most popular reading methods today are book compilations. Some great strips that have lots of fans like Calvin and Hobbes or The Far Side have been made into books that compile a wide range of strips. These books are easily available and oftentimes become staples in fans' homes who then share them with their children. Other classic strips like Popeye, Little Orphan Annie, and Dick Tracy all have their own compilations ready for children to pick up and relive these old classics. Another fun way modern kids consume comic strips is online. Long-running strips like Garfield have websites where readers can view the strips. The online world has also created a new avenue for artists to create their own strips and get them out to fans. One of my personal favorites is Breaking Cat News, where three house cats report all the goings-on in their house as if they were broadcast journalists. So no matter where you find them, in the newspaper, in books, or online, why not check out a few great comic strips with your kids today on this tip from Rachel's World. We live in a fast-paced world, overflowing with texts, tweets, and Instagram posts, small bits of info grabbed on the run. We're in a breathless hurry and want everything short. But books haven't gone away yet, nor should they. So how do we convince busy people, especially the young, to sit down and read a real book, even if it's just for a few minutes at a time. Our first guest, Isha Gupta, co-founder of a new company, Hooked, has co-developed a tool that is getting the Snapchat generation to read. It's a mobile app that takes them into a fiction book in the form of five-minute text message conversations. Gupta also shares the story behind the app's origin. Isha's studies were in film and psychology at Columbia University, she now lives in Oakland, where she enjoys boxing, cooking, and, of course, reading. Here's Rachel and Isha Gupta. We're on the phone today with Isha, who is one of the developers of a great, new, and interesting tool that is getting teens reading. Welcome, Isha. 
Hi, thank you so much for having me. It is our pleasure, and I am excited to introduce your cool project to our listeners. So tell us a little bit about Hooked. What is it, and how was it developed? Yeah, um, well, Hooked is a it's a mobile app, um, and essentially it is a, an application that allows uh, people to read stories in the form of text message conversations. So um, it's a reading and writing app. Um, as a user, you can read many. We have hundreds of thousands of stories that are all written as if characters are exchanging text messages back and forth. Um, and then there's also the opportunity to write your own stories in the same format. So you create characters and the way that the story unfolds is through uh, text exchanges that they have with one another. I think that's such a unique way to do it because so much of our life stories now kind of unfold (laughs) through text messages. So taking that into the realm more of a fictional kind of context, I think is a really fun and unique way to approach the storytelling form. So why did you pick that? What, What was it that kind of attracted you to that form of storytelling? Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I think, Basically, there's a there's a bit of a backstory. So um, the co-founders of the app are myself and our current CEO, Prerna, um, and our, the CTO, Prague. And essentially, we were all kind of sitting around um, at dinner one night. And, you know, uh, Prerna and Prague were at the time writing a novel. Um, and we've always all all of us have I studied film in college and, and um, they were currently writing a novel. And so we were just having this, this discussion around how do you get young people to pay attention to the stories that you want them to pay attention to. And specifically in this context, we were thinking about a novel and, you know, what does it mean to write a novel for young people today? How do you how do you get it in front of young readers? Um, you know, what would that process even look like? And and also it feels so sort of disattached from what it feels like young people are constantly interacting with on a daily basis, which is their phone. Um, And so that conversation essentially turned into the first big test that we ran, which was um, we took sort of like the top 50 best-selling young adult novels. Uh, We took the first thousand words of each of those novels. And what we wanted to see is if we just presented them in their regular sort of, you know, traditionally written formats on mobile, how many people would start reading them? and, And of the people who started reading them, how many would finish the actual excerpt. And in the best case, so we're talking like, you know, best-selling YA novels of all time, uh, only about a third of readers would end up getting to the end of the excerpt. Um, And so, you know, that's not like wonderful in terms of a completion rate. And so we then shortly after had the idea to test a story in which characters exchanged, in which characters exchanged text messages um, as the format uh, through which the plot unfolded. And it turns out that when we ran that test, almost a like, majority of people, like close to 90, you know, between 90 and 100 percent um, got to the end of that that story. And so we felt that that was sort of the key, that it was uh, the format itself that essentially got young people to start reading. And so that was kind of the beginning seed of the whole idea. And then, you know, fast forward a year or so, and here we are today. That success rate is phenomenal. And I I love it that you're engaging kids and teens with reading in such an 
a unique way. You mentioned earlier that you studied film, and I think that that's an interesting connection for me because with text message, you become kind of more dialogue type of centered, and with film, it's more dialogue kind of centered. So how did you pull on that experience to kind of build this kind of format of storytelling to to bring kind of that dialogue essence to to the fore? Yeah, um, you know, I think so film and, and I guess now television and sort of just all of the things that have this that are now kind of taking up what it feels like so much consciousness, right? And in daily people's lives, whether it's like YouTube videos or TV or film, they're all like you're saying, sort of steeped in ultimately good dialogue, right? And it's like the thing that allows you to get engaged and, and, you know, for lack of a better word, hooked into the story are the characters and, and what they're saying and the crispness of how they're exchanging ideas and, and, advancing not only their own characters, but the plot. And so where is the opportunity essentially to merge what has has historically always worked? And, and honestly, whether it's kind of originally through plays and then radio shows and then, you know, movies and then television, and now like a, maybe a new stage essentially through which to take that idea and, and express it. You know, it, it's a process. It's very iterative. It's We kind of, like I said, um, had that first aha moment to maybe just test something where that felt really native to the phone, which was like an exchange of of text messages between characters. And it just ended up working from that. Then we just built on the idea and saw and and asked ourselves, okay, is this just like a fluke? Is it maybe a one-time thing or is there an opportunity here? And so we slowly collected stories from various authors and we saw that actually there was a pattern here that was emerging. And so then we took the next step and invested a little more time and money. And, you know, and so it's, it's very incremental. I wish I could tell you that it was just this like super uh, singular moment, but it's really just you have the seed of an idea and you, you test it in its very minimal stage and, and in, a, in the most basic sense. And then you see if what's working and what's not, and then you sort of build on that, you know, and that's only from my perspective. I mean, the other thing that's really important is I'm coming from sort of a traditional film and storytelling background. And then the other co-founders are coming from an app building background. And so it's sort of their, their experiences in technology and, and understanding what works in terms of building kind of consumer entertainment apps mixed with me having studied film. I think it's kind of all of our experiences together that eventually led to us being able to build this. That entrepreneurial spirit of this whole thing, I think, is very intriguing to me. And that connection to taking something so fundamental to all of us as story and building with that kind of entrepreneurial spirit into it is is one of the things that I think makes your app and the projects that you're working on just so fascinating and fun. I, I know that there are going to be some older people out there who will look at this and say, oh, you know, text messages are corrupting our grammar and they're corrupting our uh, the way we communicate and we stop communicating face to face. How would you answer those kinds of people who who would maybe look down on this kind of as a lesser form of storytelling? Yeah, and I think that's a fair, I think it's a fair uh, point to bring up, right? But I do, what I really do firmly believe about um, maybe potential naysayers are two things. One, I think anytime a new technology comes out, there's always a group of people who are highly skeptical. You've seen that throughout history. 
when radio first came out, there was like a similar sort of reaction, right? Because it was this new thing and maybe it was this idea that uh, like the thing that was seems like somehow better. And so what what the youth are drawn to or like what seems kind of more pop culture is somehow like corrupting the youth or corrupting minds. And like the same thing happened when film first started. You know, it's like there's always going to be this idea that like the new thing perhaps is going to be corrupted or, or corrosive. I think that what we've seen, though, is that like older forms of of storytelling still don't die. Like the book has remained um, an important part of of communicating stories throughout all of that. It's it's remained through radio. It's remained through film. It's remained through television. And and I firmly believe that books are going to continue to remain um, even with things like Hooked. And so that's kind of one piece. And then the second thing I would say is that we don't see ourselves as as actively competing with like traditional forms of reading and writing. Um, in many ways, we see ourselves as a gateway drug. So you think about a population of people who may not otherwise be reading at all and instead are maybe glued to their phones on Snapchat or Facebook or social media, which, you know, I'm, I'm not bashing. It's its own thing, too. But like imagine now in that space during their day, they have an opportunity to maybe take 10 minutes away from their Instagram feed and instead start reading. So we're kind of seeing ourselves as as positioning in that space and getting people who might otherwise not read at all to start reading a little bit. And maybe 10 minutes turns into 30 minutes and 30 minutes turns into an hour and then an hour of reading on Hook today turns into picking up a book. And so I think to the naysayers, it's ultimately books are not going to die. We don't think reading is going to die. We just think it's about reimagining uh, fiction and updating it with the times and using that as a way to get people excited about more traditional forms of storytelling. Beautifully said. I, I would agree totally. That is a great way to look at it. So thank you for answering the naysayers today. Thank you so much, Isha. This has been a wonderful conversation, and I'm excited to hopefully have my listeners run out there and explore this brand new, well, maybe not too brand new, but this great new <laughs> forum for b- telling stories and for getting kids to read. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you very much. Isha Gupta, co-founder of Hooked, the company that developed an app that makes fiction more accessible, five minutes at a time. Up next on Worlds Awaiting, Dr. Stephen L. Lane, professor of literacy education at Judson University, Illinois, talks about his lifetime mission, helping kids become passionate about reading and becoming lifelong readers. Lane is an award-winning author of books for children and young adults and enjoys meeting his readers on school visits. He's a frequent keynote speaker to groups of literacy educators and librarians throughout the world and has received numerous awards for his work as an educator and researcher. Here's Rachel and Dr. Stephen L. Lane. We're on the phone today with Stephen. Welcome, Stephen. Hi there, Rachel. How are you? I am so good. I am so excited to have you on the show today. I just love your attitude towards reading. And I am so excited to share that with my listeners today. Uh, I know that when you talk about reading and building lifelong readers, you talk about the need to be infectious. So can you tell us a little bit about what you mean by that? Well, you know, I'm glad you asked that question because I mean it very much like a disease, but in a great way, the kind, of, the kind that you'd really want to have if there is such a thing. Um, I think that the action that we need to take as parents, 
as teachers, um, as those who care about teenagers and young children, needs to be action that's taken with intentionality. Um, things, there are things that we can do that increase the likelihood that more kids, more teens, will spend more time engaged with reading by choice. And that's what I'm interested in. I'm interested in kids uh, who choose and want to choose to spend time with text. Obviously, not that they don't want to play soccer or swim with their friends or do lots of other things, too. But they live in a very different world than the world that I grew up in and that you grew up in. And so we need, as adults, to be aware of just how different that world is from a kid point of view. And we need to take intentional actions that are quite different. So I'm going to just outline four of those for you right now. Excellent. We have to know the kids. Um, And and you say as a parent, oh, I know my child. Okay, but we have to know the kids in terms of what their interests are. And sometimes you know a lot of of interests of your own kids, but there could be other things that they're interested in or things that are going up in, in those heads sometimes that you don't know about. And with teachers, of course, often there's a lot they don't know what you see on the outside isn't always what's going on on the inside. So with teachers, I often encourage them, and in one of the books that I have written, Igniting a Passion for Reading, I provide some interest inventories. Not that they're the be-all, end-all. You know, I tell teachers, you can make your own, but it's a really quick way in a minute or two to get an assessment of all kinds of things that kids might be interested in. My oldest son was crazy about collies. We got a collie eventually for him, but before we did, he had watched every episode of Lassie there ever had been, from the old TV series to the newer ones, and I knew if I put a book about Collies around, if I put an article about Collies around, that kid's going to pick it up immediately and read it, because that's, for whatever reason, something that kid is interested in. So we've got to know kids, and then we have to know text. We have to know books, and we have to know a lot of books in order to match kids with books. Now, that's much more of a, of a teacher thing than a parent thing. It's more difficult for parents, and, and they don't have the time to know the amount of books that a teacher knows. But as a parent, you know somebody called the librarian at your public library or at your school library, and they know books. And so you head there, and you look for books related to things that your kids are interested in, and that's an olive branch. That's a showing to them, hey, I've done some thinking about you. I tell people all the time, the best feeling in the world is to have somebody hand you a book and say, I thought of you. Third, we have to provide time. The kids today are so overscheduled. They're so very busy. There needs to be time for kids to read. Uh, In school, there needs to be time, and at home, Sometimes it just needs to be mom or dad saying, you know what, two nights a week for half an hour, the family's going to read. That's, uh, mom and dad, too. I mean, we're going to sit down, we're going to put everything away, and we're going to read. Two nights a week for 30 minutes. Is that reasonable? Or whatever. That's not a magic pill, but it's a suggestion. Uh, I'm getting ready to leave on vacation with my family on Friday. I have four kids. They know. I always bring a novel, and I read the entire novel aloud over vacation. I read in a car. I read a little bit every day, every night to them, because it's harder to do that now that they are in high school and middle school and schedules are crazy. So we look for pockets of time to help them make time. And then fourth, 
um, we have to provide environment. When you want to enjoy text, when I want to enjoy text, we go someplace comfortable. And so in schools, kids need to be out of desks. Um, they need some way to be able to be comfortable with text for a little while, if there's any possible way. And at home, kids need a place. They don't want to be with adults all the time. So whether that's a really comfortable beanbag chair, whether it's a futon, whether it's a, you know, someplace in the basement, but, you know, their own little crib, their own little place that they can go to be with text is really important. So those four key things will help that infectiousness. Stephen, I love that that just, it seems so direct and simple, and it doesn't seem hard. I think sometimes as concerned adults, we we try to make these things harder than it is. But the thing we're looking for here isn't just short-term readers. We're actually looking for lifetime readers. So how do you think that these things really do build those lifetime skills that we're looking for? More than anything else, we as we grow older, our time continues to be tapped. There was a, a day and age when, when I was a kid, my time wasn't really very tapped. Today, many of our kids are much more scheduled than I was. So we have to help them, A, find the joy in reading, in spending time with text. And it has to be a pattern. It has to be somewhat of a habit, no matter what that habit may look like. You know, sometimes I'm I'm uh, working in school districts where I'm consulting, and we'll be talking about, you know, kids having an opportunity to read in class for 15 minutes a day or 20 minutes or whatever it is, some amount of time, you know. And there are times, certainly not always, when I'll have an administrator or a school board member or someone say, I don't really think this is a good idea. We don't have time for these kids to be able to read every day in school. They have to be doing worksheets, and they have to be doing this and this and this and this. they can read when they get home and my response is always and what if that's not happening what if nobody's reading at home and nobody's reading in school how are you going to develop a lifetime habit how are you going to find the joy in text and continue to find that joy and that love as you get older as an adult and more and more things are creeping into your time we want this to be a pattern, and, and I, quite frankly, want kids who walk out of school with a book in their hand that they hadn't intended to take home, but they got to this amazing part, like you and I have, and they say, oh my gosh, I can't believe I have to go to algebra now, and they shove it in their backpack instead of in their locker, and they pick it up. So whatever we can do, whoever your listeners are, whether it's a teacher or a parent, if we want this to be a lifetime skill, then we have to do things to help make it a habit. I just was talking with a mother the other day, and you know, it's my son, he's just not engaged in anything, he doesn't want to read, and yada, yada, yada. And I said, what's he interested in? Uh, fishing. So fishing, fishing, fishing. I said, okay, do you have a fishing magazine that you take out in his name? She said, well, no. And um, I said, I want you to go find a fishing magazine that, you know, whether it's for teenagers or adults, I don't know what's out there in fishing. It's not my thing, but I want you to find it. I want you to take out a subscription in your son's name, not yours, not the family's, not your husband's, in your son's name. And when it comes, do not blow a bugle and build a float and have a parade about it and bring all kinds of attention to it. Just leave it on his bed and don't say another word. Sometimes people think we have to take kids from non-reader to 
you know, I'm, I'm the kid who's reading during algebra class with a book hidden under my desk. Um, and that's not what we have to do. We just want to help encourage people to find the kind of reading they enjoy. It's not a novel for everybody. Okay, big deal. Who cares? But to find some things you enjoy and to give you the experience habitually of enjoying it enough that you want to carry that on into your life. That is such a great insight. Stephen, thank you so much for your time today and for your insights and sharing them with our audience. We are so appreciative of your time. Thank you. Dr. Stephen L. Lane, Professor of Literacy Education at Judson University, Illinois, talking about helping children develop a passion for reading and enabling them to become lifelong readers. We finish up the show today with Trent Nelson, English and creative writing teacher at Timberline Middle School in Utah. He introduces a middle grade book entitled Free Verse by Sarah Dooley. We're in studio with Trent today. Welcome, Trent. Thank you. Share with us one of your favorite books of recent. Um, A book I read recently, um, about three months ago or so, I read a book called Free Verse by Sarah Dooley. Um, and it's a book set in the um, the mining hills of, uh, I would probably say, West Virginia, around, the, around that area there. Well, this is about a girl who has she's, – she's struggling through a lot. Um, she's recently lost um, uh, her older brother, and she's already lost her parents. And so she's basically on her own, and she's uh, taken in by a, a foster uh, care worker. And then she starts to discover other family members who live close by who she never even knew she was related to. And it's a story about her basically just trying to find some footing in the world, a foundation, something she can trust. Um, and she learns to communicate her, her fears and her hopes and all that through writing, uh, through free verse, right, for, through poetry, basically, um, which she never thought that she would come to like, but she's found that it's an outlet to to be able to get some of this these feelings out, these emotions, and understand herself better. It's a great story. It's it's, it's heartbreaking, and you wonder if it's ever going to end well. <laughs> and, I, and I won't tell you how it ends. So, does it end with some hope? At least <laughs> it does end Good. with some hope. Yes. <laughs> Otherwise, I would have hated it. So, but and, and I like it a lot too because I I like finding those books with really. Um, engaging and strong female protagonists. They're all over the place. But as a boy, I think I tend to go gravitate more towards the uh, the male protagonists. And so I'm really proud of myself and I'm happy when I find a book that I can relate to and I, I think I understand better um, with a female protagonist in it. That's the one I like. I, I think that's a really great recommendation. And one of the things I like about that book is just the beautiful poetic nature of it, right? Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit to that. How how do you think the writing was in that book? And why did maybe the words and the way the words yeah. were used capture your attention? Well, you can see how the poetry evolves throughout the story as well. Um, it really reflects her her the balance that she's trying to strike between hope and reality accepting the despair that she feels in her life and not denying that and it's still told uh, through prose so so just so you know it's it's still narrated like a normal story but but it's sprinkled with all this poetry in it and the poetry lets you see how she's really feeling as well yeah, I think it's an interesting combination of the way to capture the emotion through her her poetry, but then also the prose. But the prose reads to me even more poetic, I think, than some books. Yeah. It really has that poetic sense to it, even when it is prose. Yeah, 
Every every word was picked out very carefully, I think, in this in this book. Nothing was wasted. That's a good way to describe yeah. it. <laughs> Nothing was wasted. I love that. So who do you think would really be attracted to this book? Who would you recommend this book to? I think it would be really good for boys to read it because they can understand a little better um, uh, that girls have – I mean they have some tough things they've got to work out in their own lives. You know, sometimes we boys think that all the hard things – fall to us. Um, and that's definitely not the case. I think also kids who maybe are struggling with some of their own losses in their lives uh, could really benefit from this book too and kind of find someone that they can relate to. Excellent. Thank you yeah. so much for a wonderful recommendation. Thank you. Trent Nelson, English and creative writing teacher at Timberline Middle School in Alpine, Utah, reviewing Free Verse by Sarah Dooley. We'll look forward to more Young Reader book reviews in the future. For a full collection of book reviews, check out the World's Awaiting Book Reviews link on our website at byuradio.org. Thanks for listening to World's Awaiting. Tune in Saturdays at 1.30 p.m. and weekdays at 8.30 p.m. Eastern on BYU Radio Sirius XM Channel 143 on the TuneIn app and at byuradio.org.